You're listening to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ, taken from the weekly homilies of interim pastor Michael Lansman. So, the last few weeks we've been dealing with the subject of what's the point? That's been the name of the series that we've been dealing with. Today we're going to talk about kind of putting it all together. Last week, we dealt with the topic of the table. We talked about Holy Communion, the Eucharist. The Eucharist means to give thanks. We talked about how we've, as, uh, not we isn't us here <laughs> in this church, but in general, many churches have de-supernaturalized communion. We've turned it into something that we do for God and that it's only a mere memorial. It's interesting, I was worshiping with a friend once at his service, and it began with this very interesting statement. It opened with, it is time for the Lord to act. Not it is time for us to act, or it is time for us to do something. It was, it is time for the Lord to act. God is doing something, particularly at the table. And Jesus said, if we do not partake of the bread and of the wine of his life-giving body and blood, then he says, we have no life in us. There's no way to get around that. And theologians have tried to turn it into a memorial or to a symbol. Ultimately, we have to do what he says, because I don't know about you, but I want to be full of the life of God. His presence is truly present at the table. And so we also talked about how communion shows us God and humanity united primarily in the person of Christ and the healing and the transformation that he offers us. And then we talked about Christ's victory over the power of evil. Communion demonstrates that. And we respond then with reverence, gratitude, and with frequent practice. It's important to come to the Lord's table regularly and frequently. So, in regard to worship, because we've been talking a lot about worship over the past few weeks, we've been led to believe a few great lies. And this part of this was sparked from a conversation I had with a friend of mine who is also a minister, and we were talking, and he told me, he said something really interesting, and it just sparked something in me. Have you ever had that, where you're talking to somebody, and then they said a phrase or a word, or they've commented on something, and all of a sudden you're just, wow, I never thought about that before. (laughs) That happens to me all the time, because I'm not that smart. But he said that there's this, he essentially said there's a lie that worship should never be boring. And he's right, right? So the first lie we're going to talk about a little bit is that worship should always be exciting. And that is a lie. Right, this idea that worship should never be boring. You know, our culture has placed a premium on always having something to distract us and keep us entertained. So how many of you go to the bank? Well, I don't go to the bank. I go to the ATM drive through now. But if you do have to go to the bank and you're standing in the line, what do you wind up doing? You reach into your pocket and what do you pull out? You pull out your smartphone. And then while you're standing in the line, what do you do? You open up your Netflix app and you watch the latest episode 
of Daredevil or whatever show that you like, Frasier, whatever. Or you're sitting in a Starbucks drinking coffee. What do you do? You whip out your phone and you scroll through the latest song on iTunes. Or if you're walking down the street, what do you do? You pull your phone out of your pocket and you check your social media sites. Passing by a beautiful view, you do one of these. You turn and lift your arm up and try and get yourself in the background. You take a selfie. Now, I'm not a Luddite. I, I, don't, I'm not, I don't hate technology. Smartphones are awesome. And smartphones are useful. I own one. When my wife and I we went to New York City, we used the GPS tracker on our phones to keep us kind of abreast of where we were in New York City, where we needed to go. So they're useful. They're tools. But, brothers and sisters, we have to realize that everything in our consumeristic culture is designed to turn our hearts towards a score of different things. And none of these things have eternal value. Right? Phones have become distractions. We have to be entertained all the time, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, wherever we go, whoever we're with. We have to be entertained. And that plays itself out in modern worship. This idea that worship should never be repetitive. Just because something is repetitive, or maybe even because it's boring, it doesn't mean that God isn't there. I think the second great lie is the appropriation of youth culture for worship. Our society values the young. It values youth. This is why when actresses get older, they try to look younger. When actors get older, they try to look younger with plastic surgery and all all sorts of other things to try to stay relevant because our culture says younger is better. Younger is better. This can be a great disadvantage or an advantage to the church. What's something that youth lack, right? Experience. Young people lack experience. And maybe a little bit of wisdom. But what's something that the youth offer that the old don't have or the older don't have? Exuberance sometimes or zeal, even a sense of joy about life. Right? We need the exuberance of youth mixed with the experience and the wisdom of the older people. Right? We need the two together. We don't need youth culture. We don't need to appropriate youth culture in worship. But what we do need to appropriate is the zeal that the youth bring to the table about the things of God. Because when we don't harness the energy that the young can bring, we then focus our efforts on trying to look young or to attract the young. I think another lie is that we've equated being entertained with a good service. We've equated being entertained with a good service. Brothers and sisters, and this is a little bit of a joke, I think once in a while we need to come to church with the realization that it's okay and that service can be boring. It's okay. It's okay.
Because entertainment forms so much of our hearts along the lines of consumerism. We brought that into the church. Because it makes what we feel while we're being entertained the arbiter of the quality of the service or the quality of the worship. But brothers and sisters, it's important to remember the quality of worship is not formed by being entertaining or even emotionally moving. The quality of worship is formed by our faithfulness in doing what Robert Weber calls calling God's, telling God's story of creation, incarnation, and recreation, formed around our prayers and formed around the preaching of the word and the partaking of the body and blood of Christ at his table. We are not after novelty, brothers and sisters. We're after formation and heart transformation. Because novelty turns into a search for the latest in what is cool and what is novel, rather than the call to enter into God's story. I think the reading today also helps us to put a nice bow on everything that we've been talking about. Today, we've commemorated in our readings and in our prayers, Christ the King. Christ the King. And Ed read Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, and I'll reread it for us. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So St. Paul asks a couple of things here in his prayers for the Ephesians. And I think it's appropriate to say it's part of his prayer for us as well. St. Paul prays that the eyes of their heart will be opened so they can know the hope that they have in Jesus, so they can know the riches of their inheritance, and the immeasurable greatness of his power. These are big things here, right? So the hope we have in Jesus, right? The forgiveness of our sins, the hope of the resurrection. As we lead into Advent next Sunday, we're going to start talking about these subjects and these themes of, of Christ and the hope that he brings. But the riches of their inheritance, God has promised us several things in Scripture, right? When Scripture talks about the riches of inheritance, He's not talking about finances, right? He's talking about what Christ died for, what we are promised as his followers, right? And that, brothers and sisters, is new life, forgiveness of sins, and ultimately the resurrection. The resurrection. And that shows Christ's resurrection, Paul says, the immeasurable greatness of his power. So notice that this is what we're doing here in worship, right? Our prayers 
direct our hearts to what God is saying. Our prayers unite us together as we pray for one another and our vocation as priests as we pray for the world. St. Peter says that you and I together, we are all a royal priesthood. He says you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession. So brothers and sisters, what do priests do? They offer prayers to God on behalf of others. And we together are all priests of God. If you're sitting here in this pew and if you're in Christ, you are a priest. And what we do, we unite our prayers with everyone else's prayers. And we pray for not only those who are in Christ, but we also pray for those who are outside of Christ. And we do this every Sunday, and we lift up these prayers to God. And then also what we're doing here in worship with the Word of God, we're hearing what God is saying. The Word of God is showing us what God has done for us in Christ, right? The inheritance that Paul talks about. The preaching of the Word shows us what that is, right? And it teaches us how to live as his disciples. And so we've learned, brothers and sisters, that Christ is king over all things, and he rules over all things. And we live this out daily in our lives as we are sent out from here. So let me ask you, what do kings do? Kings rule. Now this language of Christ being king is problematic for some people because what's happened is the idea of a king or a monarch exercising authority over other people makes some uncomfortable. So language gets massaged and adjusted, and sometimes today is called the rule of Christ or the reign of Christ, which is good and is true because that's what Christ is doing. He is ruling and he is reigning, but he is ruling and reigning as what? As a king. The rule and the reign describes what he is doing, but Christ being king describes what he is. That's why it's important to call him king. Because he is our king. St. Paul says in all of his epistles, Christ, a servant of Jesus Christ. We worship the king, the one who rules, the one who reigns over all creation, the one whose kingdom has started to come, but we're waiting for its consummation. Right? So we've asked this point then, For all of our worship, for all of our services, the point is Jesus Christ and our life in him. Acts 17, 28, St. Paul's quoting a pagan philosopher as he's preaching, and he says, For in him we live and move and have our being. That in Christ we live, in Christ we move, in Christ we have our being. His life then is lived out in us and then through us to the world. In Ephesians 2, Paul says you were dead. He says God made you alive. He said that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The point, brothers and sisters, is that we come here Sunday after Sunday, service after service, because Jesus Christ, sent by the Father in the power of the Spirit, has made us alive. He has forgiven our sins, and he has called us, on his mission of what N.T. Wright calls putting the world to rights. And so, brothers and sisters, worship 
church where we worship. This is where our hearts are formed. This is where the habits that we learn are taught. And this is where we are continually reoriented toward what matters most, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's all about Christ, not only of our corporate worship of him here, like we heard in the reading a little bit earlier about the parable of the sheep and the ghost. It also matters what we do with what we've been given. It's not enough to just worship and say Jesus is king, but we have to go then out and live as if he was king. That what he's doing inside of us, what he has done inside of us, is starting to break forth and being lived out through us. So that's the point. Jesus Christ, the life that he offers to us. And this, brothers and sisters, is what worship is all about. Heart formation, learning habits, and the reorienting of our hearts and our lives and our minds and our actions and our deeds, our thoughts and our feelings towards Jesus, towards what Hebrews calls the author and the finisher of our faith. And so, to our King and Lord Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father, who is from everlasting, and is all holy, good, and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast for Zion's Stone United Church of Christ. We're located in beautiful Northampton, Pennsylvania, and we'd love for you to come worship with us. You can find us on the internet, www.zionsstoneucc.com, or you can find us on Facebook, Zion's Stone UCC. God bless. Thanks for listening.